0: My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a more working summer, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you save some money. My job is not just to put in context and entertain to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After the worst day since the crash of 87, second worst day ever, with the Dow plunging nearly 3,000 points to the lowest close in two years. S P plummeting 11.98%, NASDAQ nosediving 12.32%, a truly sickening day with a horrendous last hour. It's finally dawning on people that we're in a real crisis here. I've been telling you that this pandemic could be real bad news for stocks since I came back from that Super Bowl chasing that we were underestimating the coming outbreak. It could send us into a, well, I want to say a recession, uh, because I think that it's pretty obvious that, well, that's kind of where we're going. <sighs> you know, the people did underestimate the coming outbreak. And I've got to tell you that as far as I'm concerned, it really isn't one of these situations where we can just kind of ride it out. We have to think about it. We've got to figure out what to do. We've got to work together. And I've got some ideas. Uh, they're not simple ideas. They're ideas involving opportunity. They're ideas involving what I regard as being, uh, let's just say, some things that happen that are good when the market goes down. But we're not ready yet. Now, first, let's talk about what went wrong here. I mean, I've been saying that we were going to underestimate this uh, this situation, I've told you I told you that this market was headed back to, to lows we made the last time we were on the eve of recession in December of 2018. We've now taken out those lows and, and we can go lower because this is worse than the Fed mandated slowdown we had back then. The market is furiously trying to adjust to the vast economic downturn. that is the only way to beat COVID. And we're, we're adjusting. We're not there yet. The averages likely won't bottom until more people adjust to the new normal that I've been warning you about for weeks. But this is big but. At this point, after the dramatic heart-stopping sell-off, maybe we got to start thinking maybe it's too late, too late to sell unless we get a short, sharp uh, squeeze. That was a, remember that was a short squeeze— that we had on Friday, yeah. But these levels, when everyone's cashing in their chips in total panic and furious redemptions, you need to start considering what to buy when the when the bad COVID and economic numbers come out in the next few weeks, and they're going to be bad. And look, I think one of the things that really drove the market down was when the president's talking about July. People were really saying, "Hey, this is great; it lasts forever." It may not do that, or it may anticipate July. So we got to be ready. So then you probably say, "Well, Jim, you sound more constructive than you sound." I mean, the market's so horrible. Well, I'm I'm a little more constructive because I'm. Like the last big recession, this time I find that the people in charge, the real policymakers, actually understand that something needs to be done. See, in 2007, the Fed and the White House were asleep at the wheel, totally unwilling to lift a finger to stop the oncoming disaster. This time it's different. Hey, whether you love Trump or hate him, it's not about him. I think the people want to make it about him. I'm going to take another tack. I think it's about the professionals. People like Fed Chief Jerome Powell i have been critical of, uh, but he can make more of a difference than anyone in the White House when it comes to the economy. What do I mean? All right, first, yesterday, I derived a degree of comfort from the actions of the Fed Chief that everyone seemed to poo-poo and make fun of today. I mean, give me a break. They were loving all the other stuff he was doing that I didn't like. This I liked. The Fed made some historic moves last night, and those moves worked. We knew they worked. Why? Because your bank opened for business this morning. And let me tell you something. It probably wouldn't have. All day I heard that Jerome Powell's emergency rate cuts and liquidity injections somehow failed because the stock market got obliterated. Are you kidding me? What he did was good. He wasn't trying to save the stock market for heaven's sake. He was trying to prevent bank runs, trying to make the treasury market work. Believe me, uh, they were going to happen. The Fed had done this in 2007. He would not have had the worst downturn since the Great Depression. Powell took another financial crisis off the table, thank heavens. There will be plenty of losses. There will be tons of bankruptcies and ballooning unemployment. But because Powell's got his eyes on the prize, providing liquidity where it's needed, we have one less horrible thing to worry about, and that's a big horrible. Second, this morning I spoke to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin about his plans to stabilize, not, not the markets, but the small business base of this country. Again, people think he wants to stabilize stocks. That's not what the game's about. I want to stabilize stocks. I can't. Nobody can. But he liked what the Fed did, and he made that point that labeling something a recession doesn't really advance the ball. I like that. I mentioned that what we really have is a hiatus in business. Hopefully we'll have so much stimulus that at some point Wall Street will be able to look through the current weakness and start embracing companies with great balance sheets that can thrive when the hiatus is over or when the numbers level off. Because remember, we're trying to flatten the curve. I know it's too early for all that stuff. Uh, we've taken out the lows from December 2018, but this panic is much worse than that panic because this time there will be huge layoffs and bankruptcies. That never got to it last time because the Fed changed its view. Hopefully, though, Secretary Mnuchin and Speaker Pelosi can agree to a giant stimulus package that will tide working people over until we contain the virus. And by the way, could uh, someone understand uh, you, you know, the payroll tax deduction? That's good if you have a job, not if you're 1099 and not if you don't have a job. So they got to think a little bigger down there. We wish I were down there. I just knock some heads together. we get this thing straightened out. Put it all together, and I think there are real opportunities developing over. What is this, like Bernie Sanders here? Uh, developing out there with the averages down 30% from the highs. The VIX fear gauge highest level ever. Worst day since 87. A day that felt a lot like today when I traded it. So, yes, there are opportunities here, but they're now and you won't be able to catch them using broad index funds. This is a time to pick individual winners and losers. Yet 60 percent of stocks are owned via some sort of index fund. For years, we've been told we're morons for trying to pick stocks. And the best you can do is hope to mirror the performance of broader averages. But the problem with the index funds is that you never own both the winners and losers. And the difference between winners and losers has become too stark for that to make any sense. That's where the opportunity comes in, people. There are many industries that are truly on the ropes here, and I expect them to remain on the ropes for a long time, unless they fall flat on the canvas. If you invest in an S&P 500 index fund, you have to own the bad, the very bad, the disasters. and a small group of easy-identify winners. Why own all the losers? I don't want to own any of the airline stocks because this feels a lot like the aftermath of 9-11 when nobody wanted to fly and the industry was crippled. Sure, they eventually bounced back, but only after a $15 billion bailout we are only on maybe day three of what's looking like a total collapse in air travel. Don't try to be here or there, regardless of where the president stands behind them 100%. I don't want to own anything in aerospace either. Not with Boeing struggling, debt being downgraded. That's a Ooh, that's a bad one. That's like 2007. I know. Wish it weren't so. Oil's another problem. Economic activity is drying up, and Saudi Arabia and Russia are flooding the world with supply. You don't want to own any of the oils uh, here. Too soon for a bounce back. You just hope that they don't bleed into all the other parts of the finance world. Same goes for restaurants, uh, entertainment. I just got word from New York City that we have to close our restaurant and our bar. Too many people gathering. I wish! Social distancing makes this whole group uninvestable. Penn National Gaming is the paradigm. They did this great hookup with Bars Tool for sports betting, but now everything's canceled and there's nothing to bet on. The stock was at $39 last month. It's at 8 bucks today. Someone uh, upgraded Las Vegas Sands today. Really? Retail, same problem. Nobody feels like buying anything unless they're ordering from Amazon. That will change, though. I think there will soon be so much excess inventory that the off-price houses will be able to offer cash-strapped consumers some truly incredible deals. But we're not there yet. And for the moment, the whole industry is toxic. Consider Macy's has now fallen 75%. Sports at 22.5% yield. Kohl's is down 74%, 14% yield. Nordstrom's off 63%, 9% yield, nearly. Those stocks are all screaming that the earnings are in danger and the dividends will have to be cut. Retail's a disaster, with the exception of the largest companies. I know the banks are cheap. And now that the Fed's taking action, I believe they'll come out whole, given that the Fed's willing to throw money in. But until other people start agreeing with me, they will be so-so investments at best. More like you fought for the bears before the bottom. No, it's not 2009 when many of these banks were in single digits. However, they lost their principal support when they pledged to stop buying back stock. Let that sink in. Autos, oh, please, please. Auto parts, no. Suppliers, no. Uh, commodity chemicals, no. Uh, paper, no. Steel, no. Uh, you, you think maybe I'm too bearish? I don't know. Well, let's listen to Jim Fiddling, the excellent CEO of Dow Chemical later in the show. Tech, too hard. Hey, probably too soon. Although I said last week, buying the fastest growing techs is often the best way to play a spring-loaded rebound. But you have to be prepared to lose money before we get there. And I bet you 99% of you aren't willing to, and you better start learning how to do it. With all these sectors that are too tough to own, if the data's just getting uh going to get worse, than it is, and we're going to see the denominator get big, all that other stuff. It's like, geez, it's like algebra. Uh, why am I telling you to be opportunistic? OK, did you know that the makers of literally everything you might find in the supermarkets saw their stocks drop in unison this morning? They got hammered because they're part of the indices. Then the stock pickers came in. The packaged food companies rallied furiously on the ugliest day and ages, And so many of the drug stocks did. While they gave back their gains in the late afternoon, some of them closed up. Big. I like Conagra. I know, needle in a haystack, but come on, we look, we look for needles. What do we do here? OK, I think we're going to get some big uh, coronavirus numbers now that we're really going to test people's strength and earnest. We're getting get more lockdowns like in San Francisco where you may not even be able to shop, although I think grocery stores will still be open. We'll hear horrendous reports from every part of the country because we underestimated how bad it was going to be. But, well, some of us did. But today gave us a template for what works when the economy is on hiatus. The stocks of companies that make products we can't live without. Check out your medicine cabinet. Check your refrigerator. Look at your pantry. Bottom line, on a horrific day where the averages were down 12 to 13 percent, uh, we, we shouldn't, we, we got to stop buying average. Instead, we should buy quality recession-proof stocks because that's what works when the economy's on hiatus. Time to hold, time to hold your nose and buy a couple of winners. Get started. As for the losers, I say no more selling. No more selling without a big update like we had on Friday to get you better prices than you can expect into the teeth of this panic. Let's go to Jay in Ohio, please, Jay. Booyah, Jim. How's it going? Well, Jay, I've had slightly better days, but, uh, you know, I'm still around. How about you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Interested in adding silver or gold into my portfolio, trying to diversify up my investments? Just wanted to get your thoughts about the precious metal market right now and which is the best way to invest in coins. Well, in people have stock. given up on the precious metals because they think they are in a terrible deflationary storm. And I say, you know what? I always find room for gold. I think that you want to own gold, and I don't mind that gold is going down. I think you buy some right into this weakness. Uh, I actually think the Barrick Gold bottomed, and that's the way I would do it is by G-O-L-D. All right, guys, you don't need to. I mean, it's a brutal tape, right? Stick to the quality recession-proof stocks as they come down. Hey, hey, this is what you have to buy into those openings when we're frozen down 7%. That's what worked. It'll work again. On oh, MAD tonight, America's capacity to detect the coronavirus will get a big bump through Thermo Fisher. After uh, it received an emergency okay, produce up to 5 million test kits a week. I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Then the head of CBS Health met with Trump last week to discuss the ways uh, to combat the coronavirus. I'm going to talk about the company's latest initiatives. And in the teeth of demand crushing global pandemic, how is a company like Dow positioning itself? I'm talking with the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.
0: Until this pandemic is contained or just burns itself out, COVID-19 is in the driver's seat. It's a very bad driver. There's nothing more important than getting this crisis under control. That's how we save lives, and it's how we resuscitate the economy, too. But we can't contain this virus until we know who has it. And what are the characteristics of those who have it? The thing is, we can't know who has it until we ramp up our diagnostic infrastructure. There just haven't been enough test kits here in the United States. Fortunately, on Friday, the FDA issued special emergency use authorization for two new tests for Roche and Thermo. Fisher Scientific, which is a company you know we like very much. Thermo Fisher is a long time Kramer fave. It's the number one maker of life science instruments and lab equipment. Think of them as an arms dealer to the biopharma industry. I think the stock is enticing here. It's down more than 60 bucks from its highs. More importantly, they're a huge part of the fight against COVID-19. So let's take a close up with Mark Casper. He's the chairman and CEO of Thermo Fisher Scientific. Learn more about the diagnostic breakthrough that he has. Mr. Casper, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Jim, thank you for having me today. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And let me start, Jim, by just thanking my colleagues uh, at Thermal Fisher that have been uh, engaged around the world in addressing this uh, this pandemic.
0: Well, Mark, I have to tell you, when I saw the press release, I said, oh, they got the professionals involved. You know how much respect I have for your company. How did this come about and how are you able to produce the numbers? I mean, I know a lot of people feel like we were you know, caught flat-footed or whatever, but I don't really care about that. I care about where things are going, not where they came from. You were able to produce something that really could save a lot of people's lives.
2: So, Jim, you know, once the outbreak started in China, our teams mobilized to actually start to develop a test, and uh, during the course of the last month we've been working on that. Once in the U.S. the um, state of emergency was declared about a month ago, uh, by the uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, we actually started working very closely with the FDA and collaborating. We we're able to get that authorization from the FDA to have our test on Friday of last week.
0: All right, so where will we uh, see Thermo Fisher's tests? Jim, can you say that again? I apologize. Where will we see these tests? Are they going to be part of sure. uh, when we're at Walmart, at the at the uh, uh, parking lot, uh, or is it our doctor's office, emergency rooms?
2: Yeah, so what you'll see, these tests will be at the the laboratories across the country. Uh, the protocol here is uh, we'll be shipping to about 200 laboratories. We've actually started that process across the country. Uh, samples will be collected at either your doctor's office or at a testing center, depending on uh, what's available locally. Those samples will then be brought to a laboratory, Uh, and each state will know which laboratories have the tests. And then once the uh, process starts, it's about four hours from the receipt of the test at a laboratory to actually getting a result.
0: So I will know. I take a test at 10 with a Thermo Fisher instrument, and I might know, say, by 3 o'clock whether I have this or not?
2: Yeah, what's going to determine the time is how quickly the sample can get to the laboratory um, and what the backlog is in the lab, but once that testing starts, in four
0: hours you'll know the answer. Why is this the best test?
2: You know, it is a test that can be distributed across the country and around the world. And the labs know that it is high quality and reliable, and it simplifies their workflows tremendously. So it is really a, a proven technology that we've worked on and other uh, diseases in the past, whether it was H1N1 or Zika, things of that sort. So we're experienced in doing this.
0: The numbers that you're talking about making are staggering. How do you have the equipment? How do, how do you have the supplies on hand to make this many?
2: So, we have already about a million and a half tests in stock, and we began shipping them uh, yesterday and today. So, that's uh, the, what's currently in stock. But we're ramping up to about two million tests of production a week. And then over the course of April, we'll be able to get that to about five million tests a week in terms of uh, production. So, a very dramatic uh, ramp up. We have very large factories to to make these tests, Jim.
0: Do you think that, uh, look, I, you're not Dr. Falcium, we all adore, but. Uh, should everyone uh, take one, or is it really you, you should think about? Maybe you have a pre-existing illness, you're elderly, and that someone say in their 40s or 50s that has a cold should not, in your opinion, take one.
2: So I think in this case it's very straightforward. You follow the government guidelines of you know whether you have symptoms and what risk profile you are, and you follow those procedures to determine whether you should be uh, taking the test or not. And that's uh, you know how I would think about it for myself as well.
0: Uh, is there much difference between your test and the Roche test?
2: You know, there's only one competitor out there, and that's the virus. And right. the more tests available for the public, gym is really what the important thing is. And you have tests from ourselves, you have tests from Roche, and you also have some home uh, lab-developed tests as well. And expanding that capacity so that it's across the country and in other countries as well is super important in addressing the virus.
0: Okay, one of the things that I... I th- Locate them or like them. President Trump brought together a lot of different executives in what I think is a very quick partnership. Are you happy with the way things are going now? The public private partnership? Is it what you would want? I know you. I've known you for a long time. You're an exacting person who wants to do things right. Are, Are we getting it right?
2: Yeah. The thing that I thought was super encouraging from my perspective is that the FDA, collaborated throughout the process, worked literally around the clock with us, But they never reduced the standards. Right. They wanted to make sure that, you know, everything was clinically validated, you know, and make sure it's safe and reliable for the American people. And that's exactly what I would want. And um, it's been a very collaborative process. and I'm very appreciative of it.
0: But this is rapid fire. Right. I mean, this is something that you've never seen before. I'm not saying that they're not rigorous. I am saying that there is an element that we should feel a little bit good about as Americans that you got this thing together this quickly.
2: Yeah, I'm very proud of the collaboration, and, you know, we had executives from the lab c- companies that do the testing and companies like ourselves that supply them, and the government asked, what do, they, what do we need to be, you know, as fast as we can, and, and it's been a very collaborative process from that perspective.
0: So do you talk to Dr. Fauci?
2: I did not in that case. I did work with the head of the CDC and the head of the FDA.
0: Um, and just in general, I, just because I have you, you did a gen, You did this fantastic acquisition, and I know that it, I, I don't want to conflate lives with money, but I just want to congratulate it. It seems like it, I, I know it just happened, but it, it's, it's a great idea for Therma to do that. Correct. Obviously.
2: Yeah, Jim, you know, we, uh, as you know, have a proven growth strategy and we invest to create a bright future and strengthen our offering for our customers. And uh, earlier this month, we announced a large acquisition, about $11 billion acquisition to strengthen our molecular diagnostics and life science solutions portfolio. And, and we look forward to next year welcoming our 5,000 new colleagues from Kyogen to the company. It'll be a, an exciting addition. And one of the things that particularly will be very positive is that they will strengthen our infectious disease portfolio, which I think is something that will be very important going forward right. As that,
0: well. That's right. I mean, people think, oh, Kramer's trying to recommend this stuff. No, I saw what they do. They have TB. They have a lot of – they do a lot of very tough stuff. And yet it was just still one more great acquisition that you have done, Mark Casper, and you've done a fabulous job with Thermo Fisher. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: Jim, thank you for having me today.
0: Look, we can beat gloomy. No, I'm not like that. I just saw Mark Casper. When I heard that he was involved with us, I said, that guy is a hitter. You know, we do have hitters in this country. We're not a total. You know, we can get this. We can beat this. Things like Thermo Fisher. And money's back at the break. Even though this has been a, another terrible horrible, no good, very bad day. We don't want to forget the Friday afternoon's big Rose Garden event at the White House. President Trump gave us the first stage of a plan that will hopefully help us mitigate the damage from the coronavirus outbreak. He announced a set of public-private partnerships between the government and some of our nation's largest companies, and I like that. Okay, so it wasn't exactly the Marshall Plan that I've been calling for, but it's absolutely a step in the right direction. There were some big names up there, including one of our favorites, CVS Health, which will be donating space in its parking lots nationwide for COVID-19 testing. On top of that, CVS has rolled out a series of initiatives to help with the outbreak, broadening access to medication, uh, telemedicine visits, working with local governments to take care of patients who show up with coronavirus symptoms at the company's clinic's locations, and, of course, bending over backwards to keep their employees safe and their shelves stocked. Long story short, as a major drugstore and a major health insurer, remember, they own Aetna. This company's an essential player in any kind of response to this pandemic. So let's check in with Larry Merlot. He's the president and CEO of CVS Health. to learn more about his company's contributions to the cause. Mr. Merlot, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Jim, great to, great to be here.
0: All right, Larry, give us some perspective. Give us some context. Where are we in this pandemic and what is CVS doing to help us?
1: Well, Jim, first of all, we're in a unique position to help address the pandemic, given our physical presence in communities all across the country and the ability to reach millions of consumers with local solutions. And, you know, you think about the health, the safety of our customers, uh, our client members, and certainly our CVS colleagues, that's our number one priority, and we're taking the necessary steps to ensure their well-being. And we've got key leaders across each of our business units. They're working to maintain uh, business continuity in order to meet the needs of consumers, clients, and communities we serve. And, you know, we ask ourselves every day, is there more that we can do? And, you know, Jim, I, I, I think we're in the early stages. I, I think we've seen from, you know, Dr. Fauci and other clinicians that, uh, you know, we have the risk of this getting worse before it gets better. Right. But, uh, you know, there's a lot that is being done uh, in many places, uh, many industries across the country to, you know, to gain control and, uh and put this behind us.
0: So, Larry, uh, do you envision a world where uh, in one of your multiple CVSs there'll be uh, some sort of uh, line, like a, almost like a car wash, I guess, where you can uh, uh, get a quick test? Is that is, is that the right appearance that I've got in my brain?
1: Well, you know, Jim, as a leader in healthcare, we've had regular contact with White House key leadership on the Hill, and, and I think it's important to acknowledge that as we sit here today this is no longer about politics it's not about competition it's about companies working together to be Mm -hmm. part of the solution and in this case how we can make testing more broadly available and you know we've had a series of calls throughout the weekend uh, again today working out the details and the testing would take place in secure areas of parking lots not inside stores and individuals being tested will not have to leave their cars I think one of the important things, Jim, that that has been discussed is, you know, defining the testing protocol and the fact that, you know, uh, the individuals that would be prioritized would be healthcare workers, first responders, and those over sixty-five with the symptoms of fever and, and respiratory distress. But. You know, many details have been worked through, but there's more details that need to be uh, that need to be developed to get these sites uh, up and running, as well as working with uh, with the state officials to uh, to accomplish that as well.
0: Okay, uh, today, right, it had an analyst meeting. They talked about their same store sales, and uh, it does seem that be combination of you, what you guys do for a living, plus your excellent Caremark division for long uh, for largest mail operations in the world, which I use. That this is kind of uh, you know, look no it's a profiteer but your combination of the same store sales and the aetna must be producing some uh s- something that's pretty good for cvs
1: well jim we we have certainly in in our retail business we've seen a very large uh demand across a wide range of items and categories that no surprise cleaning supplies uh sanitizers people restocking their medicine cabinets and you know we're in daily contact with our suppliers and in looking at creative ways to fulfill that demand uh, as as we respond to uh, to orders. There's going to be some spot shortages of product, but you know we're doing everything that we can to uh, get that product to the shelf as quick as we can. Yeah, and you you move over, Jim, to you know to our Aetna business. We've taken probably five important steps when you think about the combination of CBS and Aetna. First of all, we've waived charges for home delivery right. that enable individuals to receive their needed medications and products uh, while remaining in the comfort of their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've waived out of pocket costs for all diagnostic testing related to COVID-19 for our Aetna members. Uh, we're offering zero copay telemedicine visits for, you know, Aetna members, not just specific to COVID-19, but with the goal of limiting potential exposure in physician offices. Uh, We've waived early refill limits on maintenance medications. We're offering 90-day maintenance uh, refills for uh, insured and and Medicare members. And, you know, finally, we have a program that's uh, that we call Aetna's Healing Better Program. And and members who are diagnosed with the virus will receive a care package containing CVSOTC medications to help relieve symptoms, along with cleaning supplies to help keep others in the home protected uh, from exposure. So there's a lot of activities, Jim, going on. You know, no question. Again, we're seeing a lift in retail traffic, but we're also incurring additional costs with the various initiatives that uh, we're implementing, such as waiving copays or eliminating out-of-pocket costs.
0: All right. and also, Larry, are we able to feel somewhat confident about the supply chain for our drugs, uh, given yeah. the reliance on China?
1: Yeah, Jim, great question. And, you know, we have not experienced any disruption to date, and we have been in close contact with our suppliers. They actually tend to carry, on average, a three- to six-month supply. Jim, you think about the fact today that about 90% of all the prescriptions that are dispensed across the country are generics. And, you know, we do have the size and scale for our partnership with Cardinal Health. We created the Red Oak sourcing model, and as a result, We've actually been able to uh, diversify our generic supply chain so that we're not dependent on any one manufacturer oh. for a particular product.
0: All right, that is great news because a lot of us are uh, we're quite concerned about that. Finally, are you happy about where things are uh, or no, I shouldn't. That's the wrong word. Do you think things are going OK with between the public partnership and private partnership uh, with the uh, government and with your company and others?
1: Well, you know what, Jim, we're, as I mentioned earlier, this, you know, This isn't about competition. It's about companies working together, you know, against a a common uh, cause. uh, You know, looking for a solution. We've been in in constant communication with government officials. I think it's clear that all parties are focused on solutions and. I think it's also clear, Jim, that the public-private partnerships continue to be a powerful force uh, in times of need, and that's certainly what we're experiencing with the virus.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you said that, Larry. The, the cynicism is so deep. You know, I think that business is the greatest source of social change in this country. It's companies like what you're doing that are great. I want to thank Larry Malo, president and CEO of CVS Health, symbol CVS. Great to see you, sir, or to talk to you, at least. That money's back to the break. In a market this ugly, you know I think it's tempting to start picking some of the most beaten down stocks, especially the ones with what I call AHYs. That's accidentally high yielders. But if you're going to start buying dividend stocks on the way down, there's one important caveat. You've got to make sure that the dividend is money good. Because it, it, it's, if it's not safe, well, then you can get clobbered. Which brings me to the new Dow Inc. That's the commodity chemical maker that was spun off a year ago as part of the Dow DuPont merger slash breakup. Over the past month, this stock has been obliterated, losing more than half of its value. Because the commodity chemical business is highly cyclical, meaning it's very sensitive to changes in the economy. Thanks to the sell-off, Dow now sports an eye-popping 12.7% dividend yield. Wowza. At these levels, you've got to wonder if the stock's too cheap to ignore. But we need to make sure the dividend is safe before we can even consider owning something like this into the teeth of what looks to be a big global recession. So let's take a closer look with Jim Fitterling. He's the CEO of Dow Inc. to get a better read on how his company's weathering a very tough environment. Mr. Fitterling, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Nice to talk to you. Always good to talk to you, Jim. And I've got to tell you, the market is saying... That your dividend is not sustainable because Dow's related to the price of oil, because Dow's related to uh, giant cyclical portions of the economy, and that because the coronavirus is going to make it so you will have much less business. Uh, You're a worldwide company. You've already seen what happens in China. You're familiar with what's going on in Europe. Why is the market perhaps wrong about that judgment?
3: Well, our demand is good right now, Jim, and in fact, the last two weeks, we've seen our demand in China bounce back. And so I think when you consider that that coronavirus incident started in really in February for them, and we've already started to see a recovery from that, I think that tells us that we can see the same thing wash through the economy here. When it gets to the dividend, I think people need to remember that we took a lot of actions in 2019 as we came out as the new Dow. We paid down $3 billion worth of uh, debt. Uh, we also just recently tapped the euro bond market for 2.25 billion euros of 1% debt, which we used to move our debt maturities out till the end of 2023. We started the year with $2.4 of cash. Our dividend is $2.1 for the year. And we've got tailwinds this year of another billion, which we have lower transaction costs this year versus last and another billion of non-operating cash impact items. So I think what people are looking at, you know, the, the market's full of fear, mm-hmm. uncertainty, and doubt, and they may project that onto the dividend, but as you said, it's an artificially high dividend yield. We're in a much, much different financial position than we've been, and we did it deliberately to be ready to go into a down cycle after an, about a 10 to 11-year bull run in this market.
0: Now, uh, can you explain to people the relationship with oil and also have you oil tested your dividend, so to speak? So if oil were to drop to, say, 25, 23, would it still be OK to pay that size dividend?
3: We did. We stress tested our uh, operating EBITDA as we went into the new Dow and we spun out and we tested that dividend. We tested it as low as a six billion dollar EBITDA. And you know, today if it went to five billion dollars, we've stress tested it and we'd be able to protect it at that level. We've got very clear priorities for cash as we go into the year. Our first is the dividend. Our second is obviously we're going to maintain and operate the assets. So that's eight hundred million to a billion dollars for us to do that to operate them safely and reliably. And then obviously we would like to pay down another five hundred million to a billion of debt with cash. We're going to cover dilution and share buybacks, and then we'll look at what we've got available as we move from here. And the other thing I would say is CapEx is one of those things. We started the year with a $1.5 billion CapEx program. That's down from last year at $2 billion. I would also tell you we're really physically going to have a hard time to spend one and a half, mainly because the limitations on people moving around, contractors, engineers, and the people that we need to execute those projects, I think is going to uh, be a real limitation for us for the year. As far as oil price, you know, the other thing that I think has been overdone a little bit here is that oil price dropping $30 a barrel in this environment, I don't think the current pricing that we're at is sustainable. The replacement values are much higher than that, and what we see happening in the futures market is people are starting to move in and rent very large crude carriers to store that oil because they think this is going to turn around.
0: Okay. Now, you uh, obviously are putting your money where your mouth is, as are two directors. You, uh, Jeff Fettig, we know from Whirlpool, uh, uh, Bush, Wesley, you've all bought stock. Uh, Just talk about the size of the that you bought, because it's pretty impressive.
3: Well, I I bought Friday morning after seeing Thursday's move. I went in Friday morning and <clears throat> told the office that I wanted to buy some stock and and was I cleared to be able to do that? And I bought twenty thousand shares. Uh, you know, look, I I think this thing has been overdone. Uh, I happened the market feels like nineteen eighty seven to me. I was yes. a sales rep for Dow in nineteen eighty seven and I saw this same kind of reaction in the financial markets. And at the time, I just took whatever free cash I had, and I bought Dow stock at 24. And it felt very much like it to me that this had been overdone. And I understand uh, when people get afraid and, and there's a lot of uncertainty that they want to pull back. But I also understand when we get below some very good intrinsic values. And I've seen how these markets can rebound. These oil markets can shift back. We've seen moves like this before when you go down thirty dollars a barrel and and in some cases by the end of the year you could be back right where you were at the beginning of the year
0: I want this question obviously we're all concerned about health and safety you have a lot of plants you have plants everywhere you have plants in spain plant in the united states uh... what are you doing to make sure can you run plants safely with uh... do you send people home how do you handle it
3: yeah we can run safely so anybody that can work from home is able to work from home and we encourage them to do that when you're in the plant operating environment, we have several operators who would be in control rooms or out in the field. It is not a very dense environment, so they have plenty of social distancing, and we've amped up the hygiene within those spaces for them. Um, we're also making sure that our Dow Medical facilities monitor health and checking temperatures and doing those kinds of things. So we're following all the protocols that um, everybody else in the industry is following. We're teleconferencing uh, whenever we can. Um, I might come into the office to use the video conference, but most of my day is spent on the phone, and that can be done from home as well.
0: Well, look, Jim, I really appreciate you coming on. Most people are running for cover, and you came right toward us and told us a very good story. I want to thank you so much, Jim Thirling, Dow Inc., CEO. Good to see you as always, sir.
3: Thank you, Jim. Yep. Take care.
0: All through America, this is what's happening, and I can't tell you that that things are great, obviously. I can give you the facts. And that's what Jim Fiddling just did. Yeah, I'll Link, may have money's back in. It is time! It's time for the lightning round for the And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy time for the lightning round want It's over with Tom in New York Tom. Hey, Jimbo. Yo, yo. 25 years ago, I saw you on the subway in Manhattan. I wanted to say hello, but you were
1: buried in paperwork. So I'm saying hello now.
0: That was our chance. <laughs> you never know what happened. But anyway, <laughs> hello right back. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. All right, Care Trust Re Care Trust REIT. You know what? I, I The health care are acting so badly that I cannot... I might see you get in the subway. You can, you, can, you might give me a hard time. I don't want you to know I don't want you to know that one, but thank you, and you're a good guy. Sharon in North Carolina. Sharon.
1: Um, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Sharon. I want to know your thoughts on Allstate, symbol I A-L-L. I don't want
0: any insurers here. It's just not my cup of tea right now. I think the group acts really horribly. We don't really know why. It must have to do with some sort of financing. I think also it's a good company, but I do not want to own an insurer. Let's go to Alex in New York. Alex.
1: Jimbo. Yo. Talk to me about
0: Interactive Corp. IAC. Well, here you got Barry Diller. This is a good example of a company where I think if you buy it and you just wait a little while, it's going to be fine. But I don't know if it trades next to 125 100. But I like to buy what Barry Diller But I'd like to buy a company that Barry Diller runs. And this is the time when it's in free fall, not when it's just shooting up like a moon. This is the time. Let's go to Ryan in Wisconsin. Ryan.
1: Hey, Kramer. Big Booyah from the Badger State. My question for you is on waste management.
0: This stock's been getting killed. Uh, it's gotten downgrade after downgrade after downgrade, down five today. Jim Fish does a great job. It's got a ton of cash flow, yields two. I say it by some here, put one quarter of position on, and then let it come down. Waste margins come down from 126 to 99. That doesn't seem right to me. I think it can stop soon. Buy small, and then buy big as it goes down. Matt in Tennessee. Matt. Hey, Jim. Hey, man, with, with France in a shutdown right now, can I still take a chance on Orange or should I wait with Verizon? Orange? You know, hey, aren't you glad I'm not a banana? I mean, give me a break. I got Verizon down here at 50 bucks. When I got 50 bucks, I getting 4.8%. You got to go all the way over to France to lose money? I got ways to lose money right here. Verizon will do it for you. Let's get, no, not just being a little facetious. It's been a long day. I like Verizon. Let's go to Daniel, in Connecticut. Daniel.
1: Hi, James. First, thank you for keeping our audience engaged in the challenging time. Doing
0: my best. Thank you.
1: Okay, my question is about Inovio Pharmaceuticals. Have-
0: yeah, no, you know, look, I know these guys. Why? Because they are from my hometown. I've had them on. I kind of like them. It's a real spec, okay? Uh, but that said, it's the kind of spec that's working these days. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to that one. Can I go to Kathleen in my home state of New Jersey, please? Kathleen.
1: Hey, Jam, I love your show, and I really love the way you think. Thank you. On February 27th, you recommended 10 stocks that you thought should do better and outperformed if the coronavirus situation got worse. Right. One of those stocks was Shopify.
0: Oh, I like Shopify. I mean, I know, look, this is a $300 stock, $400 stock. It, why do I like Shopify? Because everybody wants to own it. Every major tech company wants to own it. It is not necessarily going to bottom Harley. We had Harley on before. I like the stock, though. I like it right here and then a little bit more lower. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: As we stumble through the wreckage of the second worst decline in history, what point do we simply say, you know what? This this period doesn't count. Our economy's going on a hiatus here. I mean, should the stock market go on a hiatus too? I'm low to even consider it because I believe it's vital to keep the markets open, but work with me here. Let's think it through. Our markets used to be the place where companies would go to raise capital. That was the whole point. And not just new companies. Since the Great Recession, we've seen many underwritings for already public companies, tons of secondary offerings, insiders. Sure, we've had some IPOs. Last year we had way too many. But the IPO market collapsed last fall. I don't see it come back anytime soon. And that raises a question. If the stock market isn't needed for companies to raise capital right now, why exactly are we keeping the darn thing open? All we're really uh, doing is making it easier for people to sell if they need to raise cash or they're worried about their companies going under. And look, that's fine. I'm all in favor of that. That's actually why I believe we shouldn't close the markets. But you know what? It's it's certainly a possibility for some publicly traded companies, uh, but not the vast majority of them. They don't need the market. In fact, many of these businesses, like drug companies, have almost no economic sensitivity. Uh, Others have no choice but to stay open. Still others perform vital functions that help other businesses, but the stocks are getting killed anyway. So what's really gained by keeping the markets open as we crash lower. Think about China for a second. The outbreak burgeoned into a national crisis while their markets were closed for Chinese New Year. They stopped trading on January 23rd and didn't reopen until February 3rd. That gave the authorities a lot of breathing room to take some actions. It also created opportunity. If you bought the bottom when the market reopened, you get out a 10% game in just a few days. The markets were able to catch their breath. Not these, like, ridiculous trading halls for a second. I mean, I'm talking about some real breath where you can say, you know what? I do want to buy that stock. I do want to pick up some J&J. Our problem is that as COVID-19 becomes a full-scale national crisis, our market remains open for trading, and that market's dominated by index funds. So every day the coronavirus numbers go higher, and the tireless implacable Dr. Fauci comes out and says we're just in the early days, and you can expect the averages will get hammered, punctured by occasional huge rallies like we had on Friday every time. At the same, at, as I said at the top, now we're having some opportunities, but they'll be created by more bad overall news that drives the overall averages lower. If we put our market on hiatus, like the economies on hiatus, until this virus peaks, I'm betting many stocks would actually be up by the time we reopen. Some non-essential companies in the travel and leisure space might need life support. But that's true whether or not the market closes. Think about this. Something like American Airlines might go to the single digits while they wait or hope for a bailout. But once the bailout comes, it will rebound dramatically, especially if i got a plan I'm going to talk about all week. If the federal government buys a stake in American Airlines and then blows it out when things get better, we can skip that whole process with a hiatus. Of course, we aren't going to get a closing, but I think this exercise is illuminating. It's why I told you to be opportunistic at the top of the show. There's no reason to ride down the industries that are in the blast zone right now, but most of these stocks will eventually bounce back. Consider the worst case scenario. Let's say COVID-19 is the Spanish flu all over again. The worst pandemic in this nation's history. Spanish flu started in August of 1918, peaked in October, 550,000 people died, more than all the wars of the 20th century. If you adjust for population growth, that's 1.7 million. That would be an absolute nightmare. But even in the in Spanish flu scenario, the worst case, it peaked after four months. Of course, I doubt it will be as bad as the Spanish flu, just putting that worst case out there, especially since we have so many great companies working on a cure or vaccine. That's why I think you need to own something here, like the recession-proof stocks I recommend at the top, some of the stay-at-home stocks I like, keep some cash on the sidelines, use any short speeches like we had on Friday to sell it a strength. But please, please, own something and stick with it. I've tried to be constructive this evening, but I want to be sure you understand my view. Okay, not only not out of the woods, but man, if you're in travel, you're in leisure, uh, entertainment, restaurants. okay, hotels, aerospace. Bad. All right. Bad. I don't I don't have anything good to say. I I have anything good to say since the Super Bowl. And I redouble my not having good to say. Uh, I do like what's in the supermarket. Um, If you can find anything in the supermarket, by the way. But I just have to tell you, I mean, there's just lots of areas that are in the blast zone. And maybe we get those after we pick at everything else. But those are the last ones we want. And I'm just not going to tell you to buy them. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise I'll find it just for you right here at Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Our special Markets in Turmoil starts right now.